Good evening. I am privileged to be here tonight with you all, bringing you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at Emmaus Road Reformed Church. We are in the Eden Prairie, Minnetonka area, and it's an honor to be with you all here this evening. Tonight we'll turn in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. The focus is on verse 13. I'm going through a series on the Lord's Prayer. So that is the focus tonight, but we'll read verses 5 through 15. Hear now the word of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it was back in maybe the 1960s or so, when Pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse asked a very interesting question. Have you heard it before? What would things look like if Satan took over a city? Have you heard that question asked? Here's what he said. The first frames in our imaginative slideshow would show mayhem on a massive level. Widespread violence. Deviant sexualities. Pornography in every vending machine. Churches closed down. Christians dragged off to City Hall. And as we reflect on this, we realize that, yes, in some places, this is the work of Satan, as he is a roaring lion seeking to destroy. So I think we want to acknowledge that. But Satan also disguises himself as an angel of light. Barnhouse goes on. He said, well, if Satan takes over a city, all of the bars and pool holes, halls will be closed, pornography banished, pristine streets and sidewalks occupied by tidy pedestrians who smile and are very respectful. There'd be no swearing. The kids would say, yes, sir, no, ma'am. And the churches would be full on Sunday where Christ is not preached. 
He's reminding us that in many places Satan is in charge. In the last place, maybe you'd expect. Not only is the devil active with widespread violence, but active as well in getting churches to focus on anything but Christ, in moralism and legalism, and yes, antinomianism. This reminds us as we look at this petition, lead us not into temptation, that we live perilous lives. There are dangers without, there are dangers within. And we have enemies who tempt us. We have a God who loves us and who is testing us. And we have a promise that the Lord will provide a way of escape. That's what we want to look at today as we examine this petition. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First then, what does it mean that we have enemies who tempt us? The Heidelberg Catechism, question 127, and the Westminster Larger Catechism also, talk of three enemies who are constantly assaulting us in this life. The devil, the world, and our flesh. By devil, we mean Satan. Whoever has God as his father, one man says, has Satan as his enemy. And at its most basic level, Kevin DeYoung brings this out. When we think about, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, DeYoung says the focus here is actually on the evil one. Not that there's a separation between the evil one and evil, but that evil is not an impersonal force, but is in fact a person who is Satan. Satan means adversary. He's the adversary of God and all who love God. The word devil means slanderer. He is the ruler of this present evil age. And he has been the enemy of God's people ever since the fall. Do you remember, loved ones, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God comes and says to the serpent, I will put enmity, strife, hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, as the devil tempts us, this is important to remember, Satan is not everywhere present. So most likely, none of us here have been directly tempted by the devil himself. But rather, it's kind of like this. A US soldier in World War II fighting against Hitler. He wouldn't see Hitler but he fought against his evil empire. That's the analogy someone gives. Same with us and the devil. Satan is our enemy with whom we battle because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces, plural, of wickedness and evil in the heavenly places. How then does Satan attack us? Think of fiery darts. Kids, you remember Pilgrim's Progress and the picture that we have there? And think of an arrow that's on fire and an archer pulling it back and launching it and coming at us. There's different darts that Satan throws. One writer says this, the first dart, the fiery dart of deception. Satan, Revelation 12 says, is the deceiver of the whole world. 
He's a liar. And he wants us to doubt God's word, much like he tempted Adam and Eve with in the Garden of Eden. Has God really said, God's a killjoy. God's out to destroy your fun. Why don't you rebel and be your own God? Satan attempts to tempt us in that way of deception. He also attempts to tempt us through the fiery dart of accusation. And here's where we know this personally at times, don't we, loved ones? Revelation 12, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. This is his trademark work, R.C. Sproul says, in the life of the Christian. Zechariah 3, Joshua there, the high priest, is standing. Filthy clothes on him. Children, it's like clothes that you've been outside and you've rolled in the mud and you've been sweating and there's bug spray on them and they're just ripped and smelly and awful. There's Joshua, polluted garments, standing before the angel of the Lord. And at his right hand, Satan coming to accuse him. The devil wants to accuse us of our sin and our guilt, and he wants to say, the way you talked to your spouse today, the way you were condescending, the way you treated your kids, your laziness, your covetousness, your pride, your lies, your lust, your anger, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. You're beyond the reach of God's grace. You're worthless and you count for nothing. Satan's at work trying to tempt us to believe those lies. He's at work in the Christian life when things are difficult, when we're afflicted. He says, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he wouldn't be letting this happen to you. He's at work, as one Puritan wrote, when the Christian has had some success. After a full meal, we're most tempted to grow drowsy aren't we? Thanksgiving, we're kind of half asleep. So also, on the Lord's Day, worshiping with God's people, we're apt afterwards to slumber and grow secure, and Satan shoots his arrows to hit us between the joints of the armor the Christian wears. Satan tempts us when we're idle. Idleness, they say, is the devil's playground. Idle hands are the devil's hands. Satan tempts us, wanting us to think life should just be easy. A crown without the cross, glory without suffering. He tempts us when we're isolated from one another. We can experience that when we're going through sickness. Or we can experience that through the trials of life and loneliness and the difficulties that we have. And maybe we're struggling with friendships or we don't feel like we have close friends and we're overwhelmed with tears at times, Satan tempts us. This prayer, lead us not into temptation, is a corporate prayer. Us. Mission Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the family of God. God loves you, and you love each other, and God wants you to have that rich fellowship together. Satan wants to rip that apart. Satan attacks us when we're not in prayer. Jesus brings this up this 
particular Lord's Prayer in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, teaching his disciples what it looks like to be one who is united to Christ by faith and living through the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives to grow more like Christ. We are to pray at all times in the Spirit, Ephesians 6. Satan attacks us when we're not in prayer. We know that, don't we? In our own life. Not only is Satan our enemy, the world, the second enemy that's assaulting us, that's tempting us. What does that mean? Well, God made the world. The world is good. This is my Father's world. So it's not talking about planet Earth in terms of the physical world we live in. But rather what Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. This present evil age, Adam sinned as the federal head of all humanity. He breaks the covenant of works. He listens to the ear of the devil. He eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now evil, as a destructive power, intrudes into God's good universe. The world is the system of rebellion and pride. It's vanity fair in Pilgrim's Progress. There's all sorts of different halls and parts of the world. Some are tempted here and some there. Evil comes in many forms. Revelation 6 speaks of that. The horsemen that are there bringing war and conflict and famine and disease. Evil has come into every part of the world that God made. Political, social, judicial, economic, all around us. That's why, loved ones, we desperately need to pray this prayer, lead me not into temptation. You turn on the news, there's angry people there. You look at social media, there's so much emptiness and flattery and fakeness and pretending and performing and presenting this idea of what a person wants people to think they are. Lustful images of pornography. The shiny, you've got to have it, images on Amazon, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Worldliness is to look at sin as if it's normal and godliness as if it's wrong. See how it's flipped around? And the world allures us. Our enemies are Satan, the world, the flesh. Here's another fiery dart that Satan targets us with. It's our own fleshly desires. The flesh not meaning our body, but referring to the pollution and indwelling sin within us. So here are temptations that come from within. Some of you were probably here when Tim Challies came right here a few years ago. He spoke about temptation. He mentioned and spoke on James 1, I think, that day. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Temptation is anything said or done that moves us to evil and sin. It's a heart problem. And I think that day that Chalice brought out the fishing metaphor in James. Temptation comes when a circumstance engages our desires. Desire plus circumstance equals temptation. So the circumstance is like a fishing lure. We're tempted to take the bait. But in that bait, children, is a sharp hook. 
We're not unwilling victims of our temptation, Challey said. There's deep questions to think about here. The questions of motivation. What is motivating me? And even below that, who is the master of this pattern of thought, feeling, or behavior? Paulison mentions that. We are all religious worshipers, inevitably bound to one God or another. The world around us, other people, valued objects, or ourselves. So we're asking God to deliver us from evil, not just because of what I see out there, but the root that lies in here. My evil imagination. My heart is the greatest tempter. The devil didn't make me do it. I sin because I want to. It's an inside job. The flesh. Sometimes we enjoy being tempted, if we're honest. The old ad for a very fast car, much faster than any of the cars I drive. <laughs> the brochure says, prepare to shift effortlessly from temptation to exhilaration. The all-new XJ8L, where will it lead you? Can you resist? And when it comes to our temptations, all too often, we say no. Maybe I don't want to resist. There's a bent in us, even as those who are in Christ, to return to our own vomit. That's the indwelling sin of our hearts. The Christian is in a continual war. As Christians, sin no longer reigns in us, but it remains. That's the front where the battle lies. We're all tempted differently. Satan comes and wants to mix a potion. He wants sin to look reasonable. He wants us to think, we can stop whenever we want. We're in control. The world says, do this and you'll finally be satisfied. Our own sinful hearts perhaps want to escape from the pressures that we face. We want pleasure. Others want people to like them. They want to be in the inner circle. Others want power and control. Where are we tempted? The hope that we have is that in the midst of our weakness and vulnerabilities, the Lord himself is with us. And what Satan means to be a temptation, the Lord at times uses to test and sanctify us, secondly. So there's another aspect to lead me not into temptation, and it's the idea of testing. Temptation is also an attempt then to learn the nature or character of something. God never tempts us to sin. God never leads us to do evil. That's Satan's job. But as Challey said when he was here, every temptation to sin is a test of our view of God. God is the father of satisfaction, not of temptation. And God tests us to make us more like Jesus. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. 
perseverance, steadfastness. God's testing and Satan's temptation may come at similar times, but they're different in three different ways, like Duncan says. One, God's testing comes from a God who loves you, who is kind and generous and good. Satan comes from one who is evil and wants your destruction. God's purpose in testing is to refine us, to strengthen us, to make you more like Jesus. Satan wants to destroy you. The end of God's testing is his glory. Satan wants to mock the glory of God. Here's a biblical example of this. Do you remember Abraham? God tested him. I promise you a son, Abraham. And he was to wait. But much like us, he was impatient. He tries to take things into his own hands. Tries to do for himself what God said he would do. And whenever we try to do that, it's an absolute mess, isn't it? Satan takes the test and turns it into a temptation. Abram sins and fathers a child through Hagar. His selfishness takes this test from God and succumbs to the temptation to do it himself. But God, by his grace, didn't cast him aside. He loves Abram. He tests him again. Isaac is born. Take your only son. Sacrifice him to me. It's a test. God would never want him to kill his son. But it's a foreshadowing of Christ who is sacrificed for our sins. And loved ones, as we pray, we pray, God, help me so that the testing that I face doesn't become a temptation to do evil. The book of Job is another example. God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Satan seeks to sift Job like wheat. But God shows his goodness to his servant whom he loves. So if God uses testing as an instrument of his grace, why do we still pray, lead us not into temptation? Have you wondered that? Because of our weakness and frailty, how easy it is for us to sin. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Because of the power and cunning of Satan's devices, we must not underestimate him. And because we need to ask the Lord, whatever in your providence falls upon us, whatever dark trials and afflictions, keep me close so that I will not turn away from you, O God. Because we are like a person, Packer says, wandering blindfolded kids with your ears plugged in the middle of a city street with traffic coming at us on both sides. That is the danger we are in spiritually, within and without. We need our Father's help. Third, God provides an escape. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, O oh God, from evil. The language of the Bible is filled with deliverance, isn't it, loved ones? Psalm 121, Lord, protect me from all evil. In the New Testament, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus. 
Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, the war that we're in. When we pray, deliver us from evil, one thing we ask God for is common grace. God, in your mercy, restrain the worst in us, the worst in the city we live in, in our country and in the world. That's one prayer. When we pray, deliver us from evil, remember testing, God tests us. God, provide what we need. There's a thorn in Paul's flesh. God doesn't take it away, but God gives him grace to bear it and to endure it. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's a part of this prayer. God, give me grace to endure the test. This prayer also reminds us that in every temptation, God provides a way out. Have you heard that Bible verse that says God will not give you more than you can handle? It's not in the Bible, is it? You maybe have heard people mention that, but that's not from the Bible at all. What's from the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God, lead me not into temptation. Help me not to be crushed under this temptation. Help me not to be in a situation where the enticement of sin is greater than I can bear. Provide a way of escape. And God will. He may liberate your will. He may take away your desire for that sin. He may provide an external hindrance. He may move you someplace. He may, one man says, even take you to heaven. But in his covenant of grace, he is committed to ensure that his people will not fall into the grip of sin and deny Jesus. He's committed to you in Christ. We've all fallen in his temptation and sin, haven't we? Lead me not into temptation. <laughs> Father, I'm prone to wander. I've sinned this day with what I've done, with my lack of love, what I've left undone. We need restoring grace. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. Watch and pray that you not, don't enter into temptation. But Peter didn't watch, he didn't pray. And yet Jesus knew that although Satan demanded to have Peter and to sift him like wheat, Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. And he said to Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The only way we can overcome temptation is by the power of the gospel, loved ones. Christ defeated the devil. He bruised his head, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan, his head was crushed through the death of Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection of our Savior. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil so that all of our sin and all of the accusations that Satan can make against us, that was nailed to the cross. Jesus died for it. And all of his perfect righteousness that he earned for us through his life of obedience to the Father is yours by faith. 
So you stand before the throne of God above, righteous by faith in Jesus, whose righteousness is imputed to you. Christ was tempted by the devil. The lust of the eye, the pride of life, just as Adam was before the fall. But Christ himself did not give in to the temptation, but obeyed as the perfectly obedient last Adam, as the perfect Israel of God. Israel's wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, 40 days in the desert, tempted but perfectly obedient. God, deliver us from evil. God, you are our defender, our strength, our righteousness. Greater is he who is in you, Mission OPC, than he who is in the world. You wear the armor of God, the gospel armor. Jesus fights for you. You have the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation, the gospel boots of peace. God, deliver me from temptation. He does it through the use of means, the means of grace, word and sacrament and prayer, the means of friendship and fellowship and a Christian that you can talk to and cry to and you're, you're with them and you know they're not going to turn around and gossip and, and slander you, but they're going to love you and help you through this trial, this affliction. You're not alone. As we remember the gospel, we also remember this promise. Jesus is your advocate in heaven now. Not only did he live for you, not only did he die for you, not only was he raised from the dead for you, but he is interceding for you at the Father's right hand. Jesus was tempted and he suffered and he's able to help you who are being tempted. In your darkest struggle against sin, God knows what you're going through. He gives you grace in Jesus. You have a high priest who in every respect was tempted, as you are, yet without sin. This is an important point that one pastor brings out so helpfully. This does not mean that Jesus has gone through every temptation that you and I face living in Minnesota in 2022. Jesus is able to sympathize with you because his temptations, this pastor says, were so much deeper, so much more extensive, so much more tormenting to his sinless soul than ours could ever be. So there's no temptation we face that his does not surpass. The great difference between our temptations and Christ is that our hearts give in to temptation. We know that. We've done that today. Might be a, a sharp tongue or an apathetic look. Oh God, help us. We have a way out under the pressure of temptation. And the pressure ceases when we cave and give in. But Jesus could not sin. He did not sin. And so the pressure, the offense that every enticement to sin must have been for his holy, harmless, and undefiled heart, this man writes, never stopped building. 
None of our temptations will be a tidal wave like that. Ours are like a drop of water. His are like the ocean. Here's how this helps you, Mission OPC, and me as well. Well, we can never comprehend the severity or the extent of his temptations, he can comprehend ours. We cannot sympathize with his temptations or fathom it, but he can always sympathize with yours and mine. As Watson says, Jesus is so sensible and so aware of our temptations, it is as if he himself lay under them and did feel them in his own soul. As in music, when one string is touched, all the rest sound. So when we suffer, Christ's heart sounds. He sympathizes with you. There's no depth of temptation to, that you can descend to where he cannot meet you there in kindness and grace and mercy. And so look to Christ by faith. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what temptations we'll face, but God does. And as we look to Jesus and walk by faith, we remember there's a goal that awaits. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial or temptation. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James 1, 12. Just a few verses before James talks about temptation, he says that. The crown is heavenly joy, glorified life with the Lord in the new heavens and new earth, when we will finally be free of all sin and all temptation. Don't lose sight of this, brothers and sisters. Enduring temptation is a part of our pilgrimage. God is working in you. He is preparing you for this crown, even as we have a lifelong fight against sin. The tried and the tested Christian will be the crowned one. We bear the cross for a while. We will wear the crown for eternity. Amen.